Now, uh, we're going to hear a little bit from um, uh, Colin Clark and Vanessa Bennett, who have been out in Kenya recently. They are part of a charity that has its roots based here in Chichester that partners with school communities in rural Kenya. So please welcome them as they're going to come up. Can you spot us in green? It's, uh, it's, it's a bit <laughs> difficult to see you, but... Um, yeah, we've had that. Yeah, fantastic. Now, looking out here, there'll be a, a good number of people here, Colin and Vanessa, who are kind of familiar with Feeding Futures, because it's quite a long story with our church. But, of course, quite a lot of new people, too, who are thinking Feeding Futures sounds interesting. Tell us what that is and what it's about and so on. Right. Well, as you see from the... Um, PowerPoint thing above you. Um, it did start with a friendship. So I became that very young person there is me, um, <laughs> <laughs> believe it or not, with my very young friend. Um, and that was probably 13 years ago, I think. Um, and we became friends through a long story, which I won't, haven't got time to tell you now. But um, it was a, an unusual friendship. So that's Peterson Githinji, who I became very good friends with. He was the head teacher of a rural school in Kenya, and he stayed with, with us and our family when my kids were small. And we'd say, I, I'd be making the kids pack lunches for school, and I'd say, what do you, the children in your school have for lunch? And he'd say, well, maybe it's some maize or a potato, but generally they don't have anything. So that was what started things for me. Um, I'd always had a thing for Africa, but that was like the connection that I needed through friendship, really. And then the other picture there is, I think, a couple of years later, where that's standing in this, his school and in front of our first school kitchen. Absolutely fantastic. So that was a 13-year journey. That's 13 years ago, yes. And we... Um, We'd got to this point where we were feeding the children in his school, and it was around then that we were thinking, hmm, whoops, we forgot about sustainability. How's this going to carry on? Are we st either we're stuck um, with trying to look after these children forever, or we're going to be abandoning them, and neither option seemed very good. So that's where the sustainability plan came in. And so we asked the parents, what do you need from us so that you won't need us anymore in the future? And that's um, so we started training the parents in agriculture. Fantastic. I know Feeding Futures is really important to you both. Do you want to say a little bit more about what your roles are and why this is so important to you? And then we'd love to hear about how things have developed for you. OK, yeah. So um, the picture there is um, uh, our team, uh, UK and Kenya team. And um, basically um, for us here in the UK, one of our main things is to um, try and share our vision with all of you and lots of other people so that um, we can raise money to help us with the work that we um, do in uh, Kenya. Now, we work very much in partnership with the local community and everything we do now is based on discussions with them and uh, we make the decisions with them. And so uh, you'll see here uh, the, that bottom picture is um, a picture we took this month, uh, last month rather, uh, which is one of our staff who is uh, agri agriculture, teaches agriculture to the people. 
this is uh, outside one of the homes, um, and Vanessa was able to go and do a visit um, with Margaret, who one of our staff. So the thing about why I love this is because we can really see a difference to the lives of hundreds of people, children and adults, as we work with them and uh, enable them to be uh, able to provide school meals on their own without outside help. And that's the key thing. So very kindly, um, this photograph shows quite clearly our latest school, which Vanessa will say a bit more about in a minute. But just as a snapshot, we provide and build a kitchen and we provide water via the uh, guttering, thank you, uh, that feeds into those tanks. Each of those tanks is 10,000 litres. Um, and so we're very excited that when the children actually start to find water in their school for the first time ever. So it's really very exciting. Yeah, tell us a bit on. more about the trip. Okay, so um, the trip was very exciting this time because really I feel like the whole time it's been a bit of a theory that the idea is sustainability, that we train the parents in improved agriculture and then they'll be able to feed their own children. So we've had a very clear timetable that we've uh, discussed and communicated with the communities um, so that they're very clear. We start feeding the children. Obviously, we build a very nice kitchen they're all very excited about. Um, and, and we provide all the food and the pay for the cooks and everything for the first year. But after that, there's a gradual period of the parents taking over that. As they improve their agriculture, they're able to provide um, school meals for their own children. So that's very, So that was the theory. Um, so this was our visit to Mikanyai, which was our last um, school. Unfortunately, we haven't been able to visit for the last three years because of COVID and other issues. So it's three years since we've been there, and they were so excited to see us, um, which is great because this time we haven't been giving them anything for the last year. Um, and yet they're still pleased to see us. So that's the thing about leaving them with, uh, as friends and not deserting them. They really have been a, We were just absolutely blown away with what's happened. Do you want to say something about that? Yes. Um, to see that the whole community has been working with the school, they have provided land in the school and the community, along with the, head, with, along with the teachers and the children, have grown their own crops in the school land. Mm. Amazing. It meant that they have actually taken 62 bags, 98, was it 98? 90 kilogram bags of maize from the school fields, which is enough to feed the children for a year. So they've been able to harvest that and put it into the silos that we provided. And that means that uh, they've got, well, I think they had one whole silo left, so about another 40 uh, bags of, uh, of maize. In addition, the water um, that we calculated would be enough to last them through six months of drought. Wow. They have still got enough water to last them until the end of February. So those plans for providing water, which they don't have a lot of, 
when it rains, it comes off the roof of the classrooms and it fills those tanks quite quickly. So all the time we're feeding the children, we need water, but we also need um, wood for the fire to cook the meals. And so we also very clearly uh, want to plant trees and we've done that. We've, at each of the places, we've grown a whole wood of trees and uh, in fact we've, we're progressing on that a little bit more as well now to produce even more trees. Um, so I've put this in not to show off but really to say actually we've realised on this visit that actually what we're doing is quite exciting. Um, I think we want to show off on your behalf Ness because this, this was a long meet, it wasn't just a snippet was it? This no. It was like an hour-long programme no, or something, wasn't it? that bottom one was, was we were on breakfast TV for an hour um, and we had to turn in that, the biggest TV station down for another breakfast one because we just couldn't fit it in. Um, so, and then the other channels. But the point really is that actually what we're doing, it seems it is different yeah. and it's not just our lack of research that we haven't been able to find something comparable. Um, so... The media's interested and also the devolved government are very interested. So um, we've had a number of meetings with the government departments and they're very, very keen to get a formal agreement with us um, to help us to roll this out to more schools. What they don't, they have a remit to, to provide school meals. What they don't have is a budget or a plan. <laughs> So we're hoping that with a formal agreement, we'll, that will help us to be able to get grants and um, hopefully bring in some more money. But that's our key thing now is how do we spread the word and get some more funds in. But certainly we've got the backing of the local government as well, so it's very exciting. I think that's absolutely amazing, the journey that you've, you've come from. And we'd love to pray for you. Obviously, those are key things, funding, spreading the word. Is there anything else in particular before we pray for you and your work? Oh, yes, we have an information afternoon on the 5th of March here. Um, so put that in your time. There's so much to tell you that we were kind of thinking, what, what are the main things? Yeah. But there's loads to say. Um, I would say the success of the, of the model, really, and yeah. for insight, if we need to change things. Um, this, the new school, it was just amazing. We had the big launch for the, um, as the school kitchen was opening at Sadai, and we had the head teacher of Mukunyai come and speak at that launch. And we've ha we had some trouble at the beginning with that head teacher who didn't really get the idea, and you know, there's a lot of corruption and so on. Um, but she is so behind everything now, and she was speaking very enthusiastically and saying, Come on, you guys, you can really do it, you can make a difference. This isn't just talk if you try. And the these are the things. So, so really, I think, to pray for the community that we're working with now um, and to get the model right, because we don't want to be expanding with something that may not work. Yeah. Uh, well, Guy and I are going to pray for Feeding Futures. I, just before we do that, I just want to 
really honour what you've done. It's amazing to think that you started wanting to feed some hungry children, and here you are all these years later moving to such an incredible sustainability model, such that you're on breakfast television explaining what you're doing, and that there's nothing comparable like it. I think we just want to honour that work that you've done and your heart behind it, and we would love to pray for you. If you'd like to talk to Colin and Ness, they're on a stand at the back. Go and have a conversation, find out a little bit more, and also you can come on Sunday afternoon on the 5th of March to hear a longer presentation if you're interested. Let's pray for them. Our Father, we're really excited to hear what you're doing in mm. Kenya uh, through Feeding Futures. We thank you for Vanessa and for Colin, for the vision that you've given them. And we thank you, Father, for what's going on over there. We thank you for, for, the, for the warm welcome that they received after such a long time of not being there. We thank you, Father, for um, the, the way that things seem to be moving really forward and just the excitement that they had when they got there and saw things were changing. Lord, we're excited about this idea of sustainability and the way that things are moving there. And we thank you, Father, that it's not just a get in there and get back out again. We thank you, Father, that you have put it in their hearts to make it something that will go on into the future. Mm. Lord, we thank you for the children that are being provided for. We thank you, Father, for the witness that uh, Colin, Vanessa and the rest of the team are to, uh, to the gospel. And we thank you, Father, for the um, options that they've had of uh, the, uh, being involved in television and government and all the other things that are going on there, Lord. And we pray that the influence of the gospel um, would mm. come through there and that people who see what they're doing will want to know why. And we pray, Father, that you would be glorified through that mm. program. Mm. Lord, we think about funding um, and, and realise, Lord, that in anything like this, funding is um, a, a need. And we thank you, Father, for the, your, your provision. We thank you, Lord, that you are the God who owns uh, the cattle on a thousand hills. And funding is not an issue to you. But we pray, Father, that you would galvanise people that you would call to fund the projects that they have in mind. Mm. And we pray, Father, that that would be uh, secure for the future. Mm. Father, we pray for the information afternoon coming up, and we pray, Lord, that that would be a really good time, that many people would come to that, and that that information time would give an opportunity for people to really take on board what's going on, and that we, as a body of people, would, would commit this to our prayer, um, prayer diaries, and we would be able to support them in that area as well. Lord, again, we thank you so much for what's going on there, and we're so excited for, for the team, and we pray, Lord, that you would bless them on into the future. Amen. Mm. Amen. Lord, we just say with the favour that is clearly over this ministry, continue. And would you provide for their every need in every way. And we look forward to hearing what you do in and through them in the future. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's lovely to be with you after all these years. My friend in the community said to me a while ago, you believe that Jesus died for me? I did not know that. That's amazing. I have the privilege and the joy that the Apostle Paul speaks of in Romans chapter 15, of sharing Christ where Christ is not known. But I'm not in a distant country. I'm in the north of England, working in a very multicultural community. And there's a very large Muslim community where I'm living. I'm working with a charity called InterServe, and our heart is to share Jesus with the people of Asia and the Middle East, wherever they are living throughout the world. And that's in quite a lot of places. 
I have the joy of traveling and journeying with the local Baptist church. We have become increasingly multicultural. It's a very vibrant and growing fellowship and a great joy to be there. This was taken three or four Sundays ago and you can see how diverse we are. At the last count, I think we had contact with 40 nationalities. And we're all trying and seeking with God's grace to journey along together, which is great. So what actually does a week look like? Well, a week involves, for me, drinking far, far too much tea. In the Pakistani culture, they say, if you've had three cups of tea with somebody, you are family. Well, I don't know how many millions of cups of tea I've drunk in the Pakistani community, so I'm certainly family. And I teach English to women, particularly troublesome spellings. And I'm there with God's help in days of joy and days of sorrow as well. A lot of the women I travel with are women who have very broken lives. There's domestic violence in the homes. There's issues in the family. And I'm very privileged just to come alongside those women and to hear their heart. And it's about laughing with those who are laughing, but also weeping with those who are weeping. And just being there in those times in the community, going to weddings, but also going to the mosque when somebody dies. And I have so many overwhelming opportunities to pray with women out in the community and men, sometimes too, in the name of Jesus. And so many open doors to share the story of Jesus. Yet so many people are open and questioning and seeking and wanting to know the answers to their questions. And of course, I'm journeying with lots of other people from the local church. This is our leadership team up the top and just journeying together and learning how we can share Jesus in our multicultural community. So I want to tell you just a very quick story because I love to tell stories. And this is a story about a lady who I will call Zenat. She's one of my very closest friends in the world. She's Pakistani. She came over to England in 1991, the same year as I went to Leeds. And I call her the woman who always smiles. But if you knew her story, you would know she had many reasons to weep and not to smile. She lives with great violence sometimes in her home and great difficulties at home. And yet she has a great sense of humour. And we love to both laugh and to cry together. Over the years, I've had so many opportunities to share Jesus with her. And she is coming closer to the Lord. But it's a very difficult journey. It's a very hard thing for a Muslim person to come to Christ and to follow him. And there are a lot of barriers to that. But I keep praying and I keep sharing because she is a very open lady. A while ago, we were reading the story of Daniel from the Bible together, Daniel and the lion's den. And I said to her, have you ever seen an angel? And she said, I've never seen an angel, but some years ago, I had a dream. In fact, I had two dreams of a man 
in white shining robes. I got very excited and said, do you know who that was? Many Muslims throughout the earth have had those kind of dreams, and they are dreams of Jesus. And for a minute, she was completely radiant. And she said, you know what? In one of those dreams, he called me daughter. Now you know why I have hope for Zenat. Because I believe one of these days, she will dare to call God her father. One day she will truly know, I am a daughter of the King of Kings. One day, the unknown Christ at present will be known to her, and to know him is life eternal. Okay, well, first of all, if you could pray for Zenat, because things are extremely hard for her at the moment, mm. so pray for her. Just hold her up to the Lord, that the yeah. Lord would reveal himself in this very difficult time in her life. Number two, we have an English class um, in the church on a Thursday, and we're getting lots and lots of new Afghan ladies. And that's really exciting. And they really do not know anything about Jesus. But we're having lots of opportunities to talk and to pray with women. And recently, a lady came and she said, I want a book to take home to read with my family in Pashto. And so we were able to give her a book. And it's just great to have all these openings. Now, last Wednesday, sadly, one of our students died. Mm. And so when I go back next Thursday, there's going to be a lot of tears and weeping. Just pray that we can be Jesus to mm. our ladies at this time. The final thing is that Youth with a Mission, YWAM, are setting up a base in our area of Leeds, and they are coming to work specifically with the Muslim community. Wow. And I've been praying for a long time that God would send in the reapers, <laughs> that God would send in people to gather a harvest. So please mm. pray that that would be what happens mm. and for all the practical things that they have to sort out at this yeah. time. Thank you. Why don't we pray together? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the work that Liz is doing in seeking to, to be Jesus in the way that she lives and acts in the Muslim community that she is in. Thank you for her very clear heart to get alongside in the joys and the sorrows of people's lives. And thank you for the way that she draws alongside women in particular, uh, bringing the good news of Jesus gently to them. Lord, we pray for Zenat and thank you for that story Thank you that she smiles and we pray that one day she would call you her heavenly father and would know what a relationship with Jesus truly means. And we pray that for many of the others that Liz is in contact with. Thank you for those Afghan women coming to those classes. Would you use that for your glory, we pray. Lord, as she returns home amidst sadness, thank you that you can bring your comfort through her and we pray that you would do that where there is mourning and grief. Lord, thank you that she has worked so faithfully in the church and through InterServe. And thank you that uh, you're rallying the troops and that YWAM are on their way. I pray that would be such a great blessing to Liz and a hugely positive as they partner together, perhaps, in seeing people come to faith in that area. 
Lord, I pray that you would encourage her. Liz, I feel really prompted to pray for resilience and the grace and strength that you need for this next season, that you've been here for the long haul, and the Lord sees that and knows that. And he honours your faith, and he will give you what you need for the season that is ahead. And I pray you would know his encouragement and his help today. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you very much. Well, good morning, everyone. Two uh, really inspiring and very different stories uh, we've heard this morning, which is absolutely brilliant. Um, I didn't know what either were going to say, um, and my hope and prayer is that something what I'm going to say will just bring some of those, bring some common threads together and um, maybe just reinforce some of the things that we've heard already this morning. And um, just for your reassurance, it says on the... um, it says on the service plan, short message. <laughs> so I just want to reassure you, this will be a short message, not, not the, usual, the usual. In October of last year, in the independent newspaper, um, the newspaper carried an article with the headline, Meeting the Modern Day Missionaries. Uh, and the subheading of, there are more Christians in the world today than ever before. Did you know that? Interesting fact, isn't it? Now, there was no indication from the article that the author had a Christian faith of uh, his own. In fact, the opposite appeared to be true. But he nailed it when he wrote this. The basic reason Christians do missionary work is to respond to the Great Commission in the Bible. Sorry, to respond to the Great Commission. In the Bible, a resurrected Jesus tells his disciples... Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. So those words taken from Matthew 28, 19 and 20 have inspired men and women to Christian mission for uh, 2,000 years. Because Christians are followers of Jesus... And because Jesus said, go, for 2,000 years, Christians have been going. Going to the ends of the earth, taking Christ's teaching with them, and sharing it in the hope that others would believe and do the same. And over those 2,000 years, much has changed. So the worldwide church has generally moved away from the extremes that we've seen in past times of just telling the good news of the gospel or just providing social help. Instead, it's understood now that it's a case of words and works. It's not one or the other. And the church has moved away from a narrative of the West to the rest to one of from all to all. Now, this was brought home very personally to me in uh, 2011, 2012. I went to Burundi, one of the poorest countries of the world. They weren't asking for help from the West. They were praying that Burundians would be sent to the ends of the earth with the good news of the gospel. 
the church has moved away from doing to to working with, beautifully illustrated um, by what we heard from uh, Colin and Vanessa. From what I would call a traditional doctor-patient model to one of partnership. So we don't go to sort out other people's problems and then leave them in a state of dependence. We work alongside them to establish sustainable means to support themselves. And the church has moved away from cultural transportation to cultural adaptation, from insisting that indigenous cultures need to be transformed, by which we usually mean westernised, to recognising the preciousness of each local culture and finding culturally appropriate ways to express Christian faith, beautifully illustrated, I think, through Liz's work. And we could go on, and we could continue listing how the way mission has changed over the centuries. But there are some things that have stayed the same, and I just want to leave you with those this morning. And the first is this, that the need is unchanged. To a church that was puzzled already in the first century that Christ hadn't yet returned, as he had promised, Peter wrote, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some, of, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So the mandate is to go, but behind the mandate is this real risk that people perish. And the verse also makes clear that God doesn't want people to perish, which is the second thing that has stayed the same. God love, God's love is unchanged. In the words of the Bible's most often quoted verse, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Now, the Bible says of God on over 40 occasions, his love endures forever. And um, Neil Bennett and Simon Ponsonby in their book, Now to Him, write that this phrase, his love endures forever, is the explanation of every statement of God's creative and redemptive acts. It's the motivation, the conclusion, and the presupposition to everything God is and everything he's done in creation and redemption history. And as such, it is the single most repeated phrase in Israel's worship book, the Psalms. His love endures forever. God's love is unchanged. The need is unchanged. His love is unchanged. And then lastly, our call is unchanged. Liz quoted these words uh, earlier, or at least referenced them. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. So the harvest is no less plentiful than it was when Jesus spoke those words 2,000 years ago. 
So we need to respond to that call, and we can do in a number of different ways. So we can do just what is asked of us in these words. We can pray. That's what we've been asked to do this morning. We can pray. We can ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest field. We can get or keep informed so that we can pray more specifically and more insightfully. So the uh, mission prayer meeting tomorrow has been mentioned. The event on the 5th of March, more information about Feeding Futures has been mentioned. We can talk to Liz, Colin, Vanessa, others to keep informed, to stay informed, to get more informed so that we can pray more uh, effectively. We can give financially so that others can be released to go and can make a difference when they go. Many of you are already supporters um, of Feeding Futures or other charities. And we can be the answer to someone else's prayers or maybe our own. So when the prophet Isaiah heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send? He felt prompted to respond himself. Here am I. Send me. And maybe that's right for us today. As Ellen mentioned earlier, um, our mission field may not be farthest ends of the earth or even as far as northern Leeds. It could just be down the road to our neighbour. But maybe, maybe someone here, maybe God is calling someone here to go a bit further than just your friends, just your workplace colleagues, to go somewhere else, to take this message of good news in word and deed to those who need to hear it. So, in summary, much has changed in mission over the years, but the need is unchanged. God's love is unchanged, and God's call to us is unchanged. Lord, give us hearts to respond what you might be calling us to today. Amen.